And I thought about it and I just got mad. I'm like, what do you mean? It doesn't have a rock band? It doesn't have a young Mary's Sunday school class? What do you mean? Because if Jesus ever gets to the place where Jesus isn't enough for people, what are we talking about? Christianity is, we are a movement of followers of a person. And the church isn't about what the church can do for me and how the church is going to meet my narcissistic needs. You guys know what narcissism is, don't you? I used this big word in church last Sunday. I I, uh, was preaching from, I've been preaching through the Sermon on the Mount and uh, I talked about, uh, are you doing that? Yeah, it was going to take me six weeks, but I'm on uh, week 23, and I'm in, I haven't even got out of chapter 5 yet. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I was talking about the misogyny of the first century Judaism and, and them putting away, and uh, someone looked at me, and they go, what's misogyny? I go, oh, man, everybody knows that. That's, that's uh, men who hate women. And... Uh, my son, you know, graduated with a degree in psychology. He explained to me what the word meant. And I said, well, honey, what, what, what are, what, what's the word for women who hate men? He goes, women. <laughs> anyway, he's still single. <laughs> Doesn't understand why he can't get a second date. <laughs> but anyway, the, the church and us as followers of Jesus. Now, you know. So it just kind of forced me to say, what, what do people need? See, should the, should the sermons all be designed around what people need or what people want? Or should, should we be focusing on learning and discovering and encountering Jesus Christ in the new covenant? So that it isn't just about me pumping up my tire when I'm losing a little air in a certain area of my life, but I come to experience God. You see, I hope that your desire and the men, the days that we're spending together and through Sunday, my desire is to entice you to want to experience God, to experience who Jesus is for you moment by moment, not for what Jesus is going to do for you, like you put a quarter in a machine and see what kind of response you're going to get. But you and I living surrendered. And so this afternoon I spoke to the men and the point that I wanted them to get more than anything else was that they would unconditionally surrender. Because it's only when we surrender that we experience Christ's life. And now this evening I want to speak to you from Romans and, and, and mostly later maybe in verse 10 and 11 But I want to start in verse number 8. And I promise I won't speak as long as I did this afternoon. So that means I've got an hour and ten minutes. If we're starting now. No, just kidding. I didn't go through a whole CD, did I, Brother Dalton? This afternoon? But close, right? Yes. Anyways, introduction doesn't count as sermon. That was all introduction. Look at, look at, let's, let's begin in verse number eight. Romans number five. I'm sorry. 
I knew where I was going. You ever have conversations with your wife like that where you just, or your spouse, where you just start talking and you've been thinking about something? No? Nobody does that? Like, hey, I missed something there. You were thinking about something and didn't share with me where we entered in. Romans chapter 5, let's look at verse number 8, and let's read through down to verse number 11. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Father, I pray that you would just speak to our hearts and that our hearts would be open to you and what you want to say to us tonight. Lord, speak through your servant. Give me boldness and liberty. Lord, teach me just to trust what you want to say through me. Lord, let us not lean into our own understanding, but let your word speak and let your Holy Spirit stir and draw us to a greater intimacy with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And he starts off the scripture and he says, But God commendeth his love toward us. Everybody knows the word commendeth, right? We use it all the time in everyday English. What, what are some of the ideas that you think of when you think of commendeth? Huh? Patience. I still can't hear. Patience. Patience. He's wrong. Only speak when your wife lets you, okay? (laughs) Come on, brother. You know better than that. So God's patience. No, I don't think so. Let's try another one. You know they know. What? He proves. Commendeth was just an old English word that that combines the idea of bringing in evidence. So you're being brought before the judge and the evidence of the facts that are being brought in the case. And so commendeth means, but God commends, but God proves, but not just proves in the sense that he, he makes a statement, but God shows through all of the evidence his love. And it always begins with love. Do you hear what moved and stirred Jesus to come at the prompting of the Father was the Father's love and His purpose and His desires to reconcile us back to Him. And He had to take care of the justice that was demanded because of our sin. And so He came and He went to the cross and He suffered a cruel criminal's death upon the cross where all of our sins were nailed to the cross And he paid this horrible debt. And it had to be paid. You see, Jesus couldn't have been just another philosopher. I get this in India all the time because they talk about Gandhi liked Jesus. He just didn't like Christians. I feel the same way. (laughs) Just kidding. But God, Jesus was not just a philosopher. He was a man who was both God and fully God and fully man, and he was on a mission. 
And his mission was the cross. You see, sometimes we get the idea, let's have the blame game. Let's decide who was to blame. Who was to blame for Jesus going to the cross? Come on, tell me. Talk to me. Huh? Us? Who else was? You're all saying, some of you saying you are, Tim. You were. God, look at you. You're a mess. I know, I know, I know. I agree. Huh? Patience? That's exactly right. See, sometimes we think, well, the Jewish leaders were to blame for the cross. I mean, they, they certainly were culpable agents, but they were only pawns in the plan of God. And then we say, yeah, the, the Roman soldiers, they were to blame for putting Jesus on the cross. And certainly they were the ones who nailed him and, 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 and uh, inflicted cruel punishment on him. But they were simply pawns in the plan of God. You want to know who to blame for the cross? You say, oh, but it was me. You narcissistic person, you. You think that you could make God do anything. Now, think with me about that. Sometimes we go, I, I made Jesus go to the cross. You are wonderful. You really are, but not that wonderful. <laughs> now, think with me. God is the only one. You see, we get so man-centered, like somehow we men are the ones who are, you know, I, sometimes I, I even worry because sometimes we'll say, well, I trusted Jesus and I chose Jesus. Have you chosen Jesus? I wasn't smart enough to choose Jesus. If the Holy Spirit hadn't come and convicted me of my wretchedness, I wouldn't have had the brains to choose Jesus. But he enlightens us and he draws us. So who put Jesus on the cross? Yeah, you know, talk to me. Listen, we can act like we were actually alive, you know. I know we're Baptists, but it's okay, right? We're going to spend a lot of time in church, so we ought to talk here too when it's appropriate. And see, he, but God commended, he proved, he showed, revealed all of the evidence of his love for you by dying on the cross. That what, when you were when? When you were good? When you were perfect? When you had your act together? Some of us still don't have our act together, right? Listen. So he said, when you were sinners, when you were at your worst, he looked at you and he loved you and he was in relentless pursuit of you. This is the most amazing thing in the world that the creator of the universe was so in love with us that he, and not because there was anything good in us, but because we were his. You know, I've, t- I, I've shared with you before, you know, when you have little kids, how fun it is. I, I, I remember when, I probably was living in Roner Park. I think remember the apartment across the street from, from the church. I don't even know if that thing's still standing. The little townhouses that were across the street, we lived in one of those townhouses. And I, we would sit there on the floor and, and, and just to have my little son Ryan, who's not little anymore, you know, and, and I would lay on the floor and, and just throw him up in the air, throw him up in the air, and he would cackle. I mean, anything to get him to laugh, you know, and when they're just that little. And, and um, I'd say, look, Vanessa, he's, he's smiling. He's smiling at me, you know. 
And she'd say, no, he's got gas. <laughs> I don't care what causes the smile, man. He's still got gas, by the way. You're probably right, he did. But, but, you know, what do they do to you? How do they reward you for your love to them? I remember one time I was throwing him up in the air. I was throwing him up, woo, and cackling, and he threw up right down to the back of my throat. I'm just warning you, if you've got little kids, don't do it, man. They are rascals. It took him like 20 throws before he actually had the aim pinpointed right to the back of my throat. Yeah, it was nasty. What, what else do they do? You've seen what comes out of their beautiful little bodies. Thank God for disposable diapers. I mean, back in the day, we didn't have the disposable diapers, you know. You had to use the, you had to throw them in the, oh, never mind. But you know, what do they do? Reward you with anything. What do they do to, to garner and, and to build your love? Nothing. They don't have the capacity Why do you love them? Because they're yours. And listen, this you've got to clear out all this other garbage because you think, well, God can't love me because I've messed up. God can't love me because I failed. God can't love me because I'm weak. God can't love me. God loves you because of no other reason than than you're his. And he sent his son to the cross so that you and I could be reconciled back to him. Now look at verse number nine, because I'm going to run out of time. Much more than being now justified by his blood. And we we spent quite a bit of time talking about the wonderful doctrine of justification, that he liberates us. He finds us, those of us who were sinners and condemned and, and guilty, and at the moment of our guilt, when we were sentenced to death, Jesus steps in and takes our sin upon himself, just like we were singing in that incredibly great hymn. And he took our sin upon himself so that we could become the very righteousness of God in him. And he says, and we shall be saved from wrath through him. The whole passage goes back and forth talking about this wrath, the idea of wrath. Those of us who, who grew up in Catholicism, our idea of God, most of us, our idea of God was that God was a God of wrath. But do you realize what he's saying here? Was that God's wrath is no longer for you? And you should be glad. I, I saw the bumper sticker and it said, Jesus is coming back and, it's, and he's, and I won't say the word in church, but it's inappropriate. You know, he's angry. A euphemism for angry. And, um, and I thought, listen, Jesus is coming back for us to claim us before he extends his wrath. And I think it's an important doctrine. Simply because I think a lot of people get confused and they think, oh, well, we're going to experience his wrath. No, Jesus on the cross took the full wrath of the Father for all of your sins. Not some of your sins. All of them. Why? Because the previous sentence said, because you have been justified, because you have been made right with God by his shed blood. And the picture is of the the sacrifices that took place under the old covenant that were temporary coverings for sin. And he says, no, Jesus didn't come to make a temporary covering for your sin, but he came to cleanse you 
It wasn't just a temporary cleansing until the next sin. It was what Hebrew says was one offering that satisfied forever. That the Hebrews uses the word perfected. Have you ever thought of yourself as perfected? It doesn't mean that you don't make mistakes. It doesn't mean that you don't fail. It's the same word, the same idea that comes in Colossians and I think it's Colossians 2.10. He says, and you are complete and in. In him dwelleth all of the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are perfect. Meaning, you are complete. You are whole. Why? Because you've been justified by his blood. A perfect sacrifice was laid down so that your sin and all of the demands of God's holiness were completely satisfied. And you are saved from wrath through him. You know, if God were just in the, in the business of laying out his wrath so he could get us, we'd all be wiped out. I mean, let's just be honest. Sometimes we think, you know, does God discipline us? Yes, but it's always an act of love, always for our benefit. If God wanted to wipe you out, this would be an empty auditorium. You say, even you, preacher, me first. You see, God isn't in the business of just wiping us out. We're his children. He went to the cross. He suffered a cruel criminal's death so that we could be the objects of his love. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Among whom also we were all once conducted our all we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. Do you see it? What were we doing? You know, I love this whole seeker sensitive movement. Right? You guys are seeker sensitive, right? You know what I'm talking about when I talk about seeker sensitive? There's a whole movement in Christianity that that tries to change everything so that people who are seeking God will feel comfortable. And I'm all for it. There's just one problem. There ain't nobody seeking God. Nobody's seeking God. Let me ask you this. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they sinned, right? They blew it. Big time, blew it. What did they do? Did they come out seeking God? What did they do? They hid. You understand? They hid. They ran from God. They thought, oh, man, uh-oh, we're naked. Do you realize it? They had been naked all along. They just didn't realize it because they were in innocence. And they sinned, they became like God in the sense that they knew both good and evil. Here's the twisted part of the lie. Why would anyone want to know evil? You see, Satan got him to thinking that eat out of this tree, then you'll be like God and you'll know good and evil. What would your life be like if you knew no evil? Do you realize that's the life that God intended for us? And we live in a sin-cursed world and there's evil all around us because they ate of the tree and then they didn't seek God. They hid from God. And listen, this is the truth. You may not like it. I'm going to tell it to you anyways. You weren't seeking God. 
you were hiding. And God was seeking you. And he says, that's what we were doing. We're all fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of our mind. And we were by nature the children of wrath. Listen, sin is destructive to us and the world. And God can't turn a blind eye to it. He didn't turn a blind eye to Noah. And he's going to bring his wrath on the world. But he's going to take care of us, his children, his church, his bride first. And then he says in here the next sentence. I'm running out of time. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Now, I want you to see the two, two sides of the same coin of salvation. If I ask you, you know, how, how, did, how did we get saved? Most of the time we would answer, well, I got saved by his death. And look what it says. For if when we were enemies, were you an enemy of God? No. Yes. Isn't that hard for us to grab a hold of? Because we, we just cannot lose the fact that, you know, I was pretty good. I was a pretty good guy, doing my own thing, living rebelliously and independent of God, full of sin, but a pretty good guy. No, he says, he says this, and the only way you can see it is that you were the enemy of God. And this is the, the thing that should overwhelm you, should bring us to tears from time to time. When we think about it, when we were enemies, that's when Jesus loved us. Not when we were at our best, when we were at our worst, he loved us. And for when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. We were the enemies of God. We were self-willed. We were not victims. We were the perpetrators of sin and sin destroyed. And then he wants us to see, he says, but we can be reconciled to God. Do you realize that you can be restored? And I'm assuming that most of you have already been restored to your created purpose, which was to relationship with your creator. He's saying, listen, you can be reconciled. You were enemies and you can be reconciled. Have you ever felt like you weren't worthy of this kind of love? So you say, listen, well, maybe I can pay him back. I remember the story of, uh, I think it was a Vietnam era uh, Congressional Medal of Honor winner. And it, there was a story about a, a guy who, who, in Vietnam, he you know, threw himself on a grenade. And he ended up losing both of his legs to save one of his, uh, the, the soldiers that were with him. And the guy who came out unscathed always felt guilty. And the story goes that uh, he found out where this guy lived and he, he was in a wheelchair and lost both of his legs. So he said, you know, I got to do something to pay him back. And so he started mowing his lawn every week. And the guy came in and he said, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I'm paying you back. And the guy's like, paying me back? Now, it doesn't make sense to us, right? I mean, we understand the idea of where you feel this great debt. But can you pay back what someone gives out of love? And this whole idea of being worthy is rooted in our pride. You see, we want to feel like we have something to contribute. We want to feel like there was something about us that we could do to kind of pay God back. 
but you can't pay God back. And the whole idea of being worthy in the sense that somehow we make ourselves what, something that, that God should feel grateful for is a mistake. But we come to him in understanding that the sovereignty of God chose us. And I don't even understand why or how it all works, but he does. He chooses us and we're never worthy. Worth isn't what it's about. We can't pay back. There's no self-righteousness. But his death was laid down so that we could be reconciled to the Son. Now, look, let, me read, let me read to you another verse here. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So we were the enemies of God. And we surrender and we put our trust in Jesus and Jesus comes and he saves us and he cleanses us and he forgives us of all of our transgressions so that there's no longer enmity between us and God. Now we're the friends of God, the sons of God, the adopted children of God, the beloved of God, and we've been reconciled. We're back. And then he says, and now I've given you a ministry of reconciliation. Now, I talked about the seeker thing. But how many used to play hide and seek when you were kids? Right? Remember that? It was a great game, right? For all of us that grew up before battery-operated toys. <laughs> My mom would have us all summer long outside playing hide and seek anything, play anything outside. Run in the street. She didn't care. Just get, get out of the house, you know. Hide and seek. What would you do? You know, one person was it. How did you decide who was it? I don't remember. Yeah, I don't know. Usually it was me. I was it. And so you get behind the big old tree, right? And you close your eyes and you count. And you go, what does it go? You know, up or down? I don't even remember anymore. Three, two, one, zero. Ollie, ollie, oxen. Free, 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 right? Something like that, wasn't it? Am I just making this up as I go? It's something... There's something, I don't know what that all the all the oxen, free, free, free. Oh, really? Okay, well, it's been a long time, like I told you. All I remember is you just stopped and you counted and then you went looking. For, and everybody was hiding and they'd hide in bushes and they'd hide in trees. And all you had to do was like tag them and get back to the free base or where you counted and and, man, the whole thing was to be a seeker of the hiders. You guys know where I'm going with this? Here, here's Rona Park and Santa Rosa and Sebastopol and all the surrounding com- communities, Katati, wherever you live. What is it? It's full of hiders. Everywhere, all around you, are people who are hiding from God. And you are the seekers. Do you see what he said? He said that you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. You've been given the word of reconciliation. You are the seeker. You want to be a seeker-sensitive church? You should. means that you are actively seeking the hiders. Being the agents of God in relentless pursuit of those that God is calling to himself. And then he says, much more having been reconciled, 
we shall be saved by his life. I love this verse. Because when we came to God, we were dead men walking. Our spirits were dead to God. There was nothing in there. There was no life in our spirit. That's a crazy thing when people tell me, oh, I'm a spiritual person. No, you're not. You're dead. You're a soulish person, maybe, but not a spiritual person. Because your spirit was born dead. And you say, why is it important that, that we are saved by his life? Because if we were reconciled by his death, the other side of the coin is that we were saved by his life. Now, you know, I, I worked in Vietnam for 10 years. And, and um, in Vietnam, they have socialized medicine, single payer. Now, it's in a communist country, so, you know, everything's done by the book. So, so let's assume this guy, you get, you get, you get uh, sick, you go to the doctor, they go, okay, you got a cancerous tumor in your abdomen. we got to take it out. Uh, they look at the schedule, they put your name on the list, they go, come back in six months. All right? Month five, you die. In the sixth month, they call you, they they say, bring that corpse in here. He's on the list. They take that corpse. They open it up. They take out that cancerous tumor. They seal them all up. And they say, there you go. We've done what we were supposed to do. Everybody happy? Took care of the problem, right? What are you guys shaking your head no for? Some of you aren't even shaking your head. What's the problem? I mean, they took care of the tumor, right? They cut it out. Sort them back up. Everything's good. The problem has been taken care of. Yes? What's the problem? He's dead. And what do dead men need? Well, in a sense, they need life. Here's, here's what, it, what was the problem? What was the sin? The cancer, was, the cancer that was growing in us was sin. Jesus came and he cut out the sin. He freed us from both the penalty and the power of sin. But we needed something because we were dead. And so what did he do? He gave us his life. And this is the awesome thing that moment by moment, day by day, we don't have to journey through life in our own strength as though Jesus was our co-pilot out there somewhere to come and help us whenever we got in trouble. But he said, listen, Jesus came both to reconcile us by his death and to save us by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, all through here, he talks about joy. And this is one troubling thing to me, is that most of us Christians are known for a lot of things, but we're not known for our joy. In fact, we Baptists get suspicious of Christians who have joy. We're like, hmm... Something's wrong with that guy. He's happy. <laughs> he hasn't been in the same church as us, right? Uh, listen, <clears throat> do you have joy? If you lived out of the truth that you'd been reconciled to God, that you were an enemy of God and now you're a friend of God, and now you were dead and now you have life and not just any old ordinary life, but you have the life of God with living within you, You'd have joy. And joy supersedes happiness. He says, For in God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we now receive the atonement. 
that word atonement, you understand, is an Old Testament word, but it could also be translated reconciliation. Because the atonement is what reconciles us to God. Have you been reconciled to God? If you're here tonight and you say, well, Brother Ekno, you know, I, I don't know about this whole Jesus thing. Maybe you're hiding from God. And you're hiding in church. I don't know. All kind of places people hide. Then I say, listen, let God bring you to the conviction of sin and righteousness. Are you reconciled to God? Are you convinced that he found you when you were hiding? That he reconciled you through his death and he saved you by his life? Then you have a ministry. Everybody. Well, we see Pastor Smith, he's up here. He's got a ministry. Brother Dalton has a ministry. What was Brother Dalton? We were talking about it a little bit earlier. He was telling me one of his pet peeves is he doesn't like that word full-time ministry. I don't either. Do you realize that every one of you is now a seeker of the hiders? And that you live around them and you work with them. You go to sports with them. You go to the grocery store around them. And they're all hiding. It's time that you call them out. You tag them and say, man, you're it. You're it. Seekers of hiders. Father, thank you so much that you reconciled us through your death and that you saved us by your life. I pray, Lord, that we would feel overwhelmed with the awesomeness of your love. That when we were your enemies and we were dead, you came, you took out the sin. And you planted your own life within us. Thank you for your wonderful love to us. Stir us. Lord, give us the conviction that we too have a ministry of reconciling the seekers in pursuit of the hiders. Lord, let us be relentless in our pursuit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.